Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Campaign 2024 has begun. We are now on the clock, everybody. We are on the clock. Iowa is in the review mirror. Super Tuesday is coming up in early March, guys. The time has come. Let's get involved. Get involved in your communities, in your towns. Go to jointheunion.us, find any number of the hundred plus partner organizations we have and get involved in your community and make sure that we get every last pro-democracy voter to the polls in November that we can. I want to say thank you and on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Mary Pat Hector, the CEO of RISE, an organization that builds student-led advocacy campaigns, promotes increased access to higher education, and strengthens students' political power through youth voter mobilization, which will be key this year. Mary Pat is a native of Atlanta, Georgia, a proud graduate of Spelman College, and a current graduate student at Georgia State University. Mary Pat, welcome to the show. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for having me. No, absolutely. Thank you. As I said right before we went on the air, it's your generation that saved our bacon in 2022 and will probably very much be at the forefront of doing it again. But before we get into Rise, the work that you're doing in the get out the vote, the voter education perspective, let's talk a little bit about you. So at the age of 18, you were already advising then President Barack Obama on criminal justice reform. And then at the age of 19, you ran for office in a city neighboring Atlanta. So you didn't waste much time. So give us a little sense of how it not even at the end of your teenage years, you decided to get so involved in public policy and then ultimately politics. Sure. So originally when I really began my organizing journey, it was really centered on advocacy and around issues that were directly impacting not only communities of color, but were importantly, my community issues like gun violence ways in which we could prevent gun violence in communities of color and in the state of Georgia, which is how I got involved in advocacy and organizing. But it wasn't until I was in college that I understood the importance of not only just advocacy, but policy and how those things work interchangeably. And so that's why in 2016, which was my very first presidential election, I decided that I was also going to run for office and put my name on the ballot following the 2016 outcome of that election. Yeah. And I can only imagine that, well, first and foremost, being on the ballot is a whole different ballgame, right? You're putting your name before the voters and hope that, you know, you are there. And oftentimes, you know, candidates with the best of intentions are left wanting. But I think that there's great value and worth in the experience and the crucible, right, that you have to go through in that process. So tell us a little bit about like, did you like being a candidate? Well, Reed, I will tell you that I did not enjoy being a candidate. <laughs> Fair enough. It actually gave me it. so much respect for individuals that run for office, you know, no matter what their ideological beliefs are or, you know, what party they tend to represent. It, it gave me so much respect for 
just the process and like all of the things that you go through, you know, the mud slinging, the sleepless nights, the knocking on doors, the raising money, you know, it's very, very difficult and tough time. But since that moment, I vowed like not only would I support other young people who run for office, but beyond that, I would support young people who want to be civically engaged, which I now have the opportunity to do that in a different way as a CEO of RISE. So let, let's talk about Rise. That's a great segue. So, you know, the sense I get, and it's, you know, you will appreciate, and this probably will not surprise you, Mary Pat, that there are a lot of old, mostly white people that sit around rooms and go, you know, we really got to worry about the youth vote this year. And everyone goes, yeah, rah, 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 yeah, harumph, harumph, harumph. But I mean, I think we think that's true. But also, you know, I have children that are younger than yours, but your generation, Generation Z, younger millennials, you all are a much different cohort, not just because of your age, but I think also, at least again, as an observer, you all came of age or coming of age in an era of total connectivity and total information so that when I was your age, even now, or your age, when you were you know, first going to college, right? Like the internet was a thing, but like nobody knew what to do with it. Does that make sense? You all are digital natives, for lack of a better way to put it. So tell us a little bit about with my rambling preamble, how you see younger voters this year and what Rise does in particular to make sure that they are as engaged as they need to be. Absolutely. Well, Gen Z voters, 40 million Gen Z voters will be eligible to vote in 2024. 45% of that 40 million will be young people of color, Asian Americans, Latinx voters, African American young voters. And so here we do have an opportunity to really save our democracy because the truth is it is teetering in the balance. But that's why it's important for organizations like RISE to be talking and touching young people in person now. In 2020 and 2022, data showed that only half of young people were even contacted by a civic organization or a campaign, which means most of the information that they got was from social media or what they saw or what they heard and not based off of anyone actually talking to them. And so with our organization, we find value in not just running social media campaigns, which is what a lot of organizations like to do when they're reaching young voters, but actually speaking to young people, talking to them, touching them three to five times leading up to the election. You know, there is value in investing and making critical investments in like social media, TikTok, Instagram, but there's also a value in showing up. Gen Z voters, they don't like things that feel performative. Candidates or campaigns and organizations showing up two to three months on their campuses before an election saying, you know, we want your vote, we care. That is nothing that will swoop them or make them want to vote for you. But when they see an organization that's consistently on their campus, that's consistently in community with them, when they see young people within that organization that are in class with them every day, that are advocating for their students' basic needs, advocating for access to higher education within that state for them then they're more likely to listen to what they have to say and potentially accept resources for them to ensure that they're able to get to the polls on election day. And so that's why our work is extremely critical, because we show up on campuses 365 days a year and we ask young people to not only vote, but to join us in educating their communities and being a part of the solution to getting more young people to the polls rather than waiting into the very last minute. Wow, there's a lot there. So I want to start with one of the first things you said, which was I've always found 
not always, but as I got out of being a year in and year out campaign guy myself and into more of the independent political space, the reform space, you know, that sort of freedom gives you also a lot of ability to be creative and think about things differently, which is why should we be surprised, Mary Pat, that sometimes our voter participation rates are so low and our voter contact efforts are so ineffectual or inefficient when we don't talk to voters or potential voters at all, except for 60 days every two years. And then we ask them for the most valuable things civically they can give us. Yeah. I mean, well, that's why you kind of get the apathy specifically from younger voters that you get. Like older voters have this ideology. It was extremely important, right? Like, you know, our ancestors fought and died for you to have that right to vote. Well, young people are like, well, what does voting do for me? I have candidates that don't care about the climate. There are candidates who haven't done anything around gun violence prevention. Some of our student organizers, including myself, were at the University of Las Vegas, Nevada, hosting a Rise University training, doing the recent mass shooting that was on that campus that day. Like many of these issues young people are seeing and they're like, why aren't our elected officials doing anything about it? And so they develop this like disengagement where they feel like, well, maybe voting isn't for me. And it's not maybe voting isn't for you. Maybe it's who is in office isn't for you. And like really understanding the power that you have as a voter and as a person who can even put themselves on the ballot and even run. But like that's the importance of just seeing or believing in possibilities, like understanding your power as a student voter, which is what we do within our organization. Like we want young people to recognize the political power that they have as young people and as young voters. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. So take me through the process. So you're on a campus, you let's say UNLV, right? And actually... A mutual friend of ours was there with you, and I was actually speaking to her, I think, just a couple of days after you all had been there. And, you know, look, again, your generation, generation lockdown, right? You either have been through something like this, which you now have if you weren't before, or you know someone who has been, right? And that's just, I can't even, to me, just as an aside, Mary Pat, that's not my idea of freedom. Having to worry about whether when you send your kids to school, whether it's kindergarten or college, right, that like that's not just a possibility, but like a realistic possibility. But take us through, you know, a campus organizing effort. So how do you start? How do you find the leaders of the efforts? Because, you know, you live in Atlanta. Las Vegas is a long way. Right. How do you make sure that once you land in a place like UNLV, I'm just going to use that as an example. Right. How do you develop the team there that you can leave behind and, and you have an expectation that with the right guidance, or the right resources that they can grow? Well, I will tell you that many of the student organizers that lead efforts across the country within our organization were once student organizing fellows. They were once Rice University or Black the Vote student organizing trainees within our organization. Or they once led GOTV or community efforts within our organization or other partner organizations. So that's really how we identify our lead staff in specific states. But how we identify young people on the grounds that are doing the work, we identify them on our college campuses. 
We believe in the trusted messenger model. Again, like the young people who are fielding our work are on the grounds across the country. These are individuals that young people on their campuses and in their communities trust because that's who's going to be able to get these young people to the polls and vote on election day. We identify them first initially by engaging in what we call trainings. So we provide Rise University or Black the Vote trainings where we invite young people who are interested in mobilizing their communities. We invite young people to, you know, come and engage and learn how they can be canvassers. You know, what does deep canvassing look like? If they're interested in becoming a poll worker or an election protection monitor, combating voter suppression bills like Senate Bill 202 in the state of Georgia or similar bills in Wisconsin and Michigan, like they have come to the Rise University training and they'll learn that. And this training is a very intensive training um, for one day. You could be in a room with us for six to eight hours. The cool thing about us and our organization is when we have students engage in those very long training sessions, we also pay them for their time. And so students could leave with a $75 to $150 gift card because there are a lot of young people who want to engage in this work, but they can't afford to because they're full-time students. They're working two to three jobs. And like, we just don't have the time to engage in political advocacy or civic engagement work. But like, no, we want you here. We believe that you are the trusted messenger that we need within your community. And so we pay them for their time. And what takes place at the end of the training is that young people are asked to make a commitment. They're asked to support the work of RISE or any of our partner organizations around the issues that they're passionate about, whether that's climate justice, whether that's reproductive rights, whether that's higher education um, or student debt relief. And they make that commitment and decide how they're going to show up going into 2024 or into the following election cycle. We hold them to that. We reach out to them multiple times leading up to the election to engage them and see if they're interested in a paid fellowship program a, a field organizing or a field canvassing program. And what we also saw that was extremely beneficial about our training initiatives was also that in 2022, following the pandemic, there were just a lot of unskilled young organizers because many of them for the first time were organizing in the midst right. of a pandemic. Right. They, they weren't stuck in their dorm. Right. Yeah. Like they didn't know what in-person canvassing looked like. They didn't know what it meant to lead a actual field program. And so even beyond working with our organization, many of the students that leave our training programs go on to work for senators. They go on to work for more coordinated campaigns and efforts based off of what they learn with us. But that's how we get them in, right? Like we let them know that we value you as a young person and as a professional. And we want to not only invest in training with you, uh, invest in training within you, but also provide you with resources and, and equitable pay for your time. And offer them more full-time opportunities to work with us and or our partners. And we engage them over time through the work, whether that's, again, more full-time opportunities or more stipended canvassing opportunities. Let me ask about something that your generation is really at the forefront of. Like Every campaign I worked on when I was about your age right, was in person in some way. Either I was on the road around a lot of people, I was in a state around a lot of people, or I was in a campaign headquarters, and we were all together all the time. Do you get a sense, one, that the in-person trainings you're doing, do you get the sense, A, that people are glad to be around others of like mind and like mission and like beliefs? And secondly, as you go door to door, as you're doing this canvassing thing, 
are folks happy to see you? I know it sounds like such a simple question and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but we've all become so used to being like in whatever our little self-created bubbles are. Are people glad that someone is out there on their campus knocking on their door and saying, hey, can I talk to you about this? Yes and no. Sometimes our student organizers engage in canvassing on campus and sometimes they engage in canvassing in community. <laughs> uh, community canvassing may not always be oh, listen, uh, believe the me. best. <laughs> That's, that's nothing <laughs> but definitely new. when they see you um, on our, our college campuses. And then also because when you go to a Rise University training or when you go to an event or when you see someone who works within our organization on your campus, we make it fun. I think oftentimes, you know, there's specific groups on campuses that keep things very, very political. And it makes you feel like, you know, I'm not I can't be a part of this or this isn't, you know, I don't see myself within this group or within this organization. We believe that there is space within the work that we do for everyone. And we also understand that, you know, our organizing structure and strategy at North Carolina Central University, where just last weekend over 170 student organizers gathered for Rise University training to mobilize their communities, looks a little bit different than our organizing strategy um, or Rise University that would take place at a UNLV or at a, you know, University of Michigan. And so, you know, we kind of adapt our structure and we look different on each campus that we show up. But that's because we understand the importance of trusted messengers and showing up in community, like people being able to see themselves within the organizers that are engaging with them on campuses and in community. I mean, what that is, is, and I know of some of our other partner, partner organizations do this too, which is if you want to talk to someone in a community, it's a heck of a lot easier to do it when you are part of that community. Yeah. As opposed to somebody trying to parachute in and say, hi, I'm Reed. I'm here from Rise. Would you like to talk to me about politics? And they'd probably be like, hey, man, <laughs> it's enough already. But if you are someone who goes to UNLV or Michigan, um, you know, or is going to school in North Carolina or Georgia, and then you're on that campus uh, again, someone says, OK, well, the, the, the very baseline connection we have is that we're here together. Right. As opposed to, you know, and look, you know, there's all sorts of people who say, oh, no, that you can deploy people anywhere and it'll be fine. Like you can, but it's so much better if those people are homegrown. Absolutely. And that also makes our organization a little bit different because, you know, we're often put in conversations with much larger organizations that do youth vote work. But while we are a national youth vote organization in seven states with hundreds of young people on the ground and soon to be thousands, like, I mean, we still have a very much so grassroots feel because our work in each city, in each state is like developed by individuals within that state. Like our state directors are from the states in which they organize. They've been there their whole lives. They care about what happens in Pennsylvania. They care about what happens in Macon, Georgia. They're developing plans within those communities based off of their connection to that state or their connection to that city. And it's not something that's being like, said at the top and then like, you know, forced down. It's something that we've been presented. And like, I have the best job. My job is ensuring that thousands of young people who want to ensure that people show up to the polls and vote, that 40 million that we talked about, like they just get the money to do it. So like, that's my job. My job is to make sure that those young people have the resources they need to execute the program that they said they'd need to win in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Arizona. And so we still have that grassroots feel. And it is sad to say this, Mary Pat, but that is an innovative way to operate in American politics to say, here's a mission. OK, 
we want you all to figure out the best way to complete this mission, the best people to do it, the best ways to do it, the best time, the best place, whatever. And here are the resources, and we trust you to go do that, as opposed to the structure that you previously described, which is we live in major city A, likely Washington, D.C. We have this money. We're going to use the money as the carrot, right? And the stick is do what we want, and you'll get money, even if it's not successful. You're doing what we want because we want to have a one-size-fits-all thing because we want to have people with our sweatshirt there, right? We want to say we're doing X. We have to go tell our donors we've we've made, you know— 17,000 contacts in this precinct or county or whatever else, when the truth is, it's just like, that's just grinding. That's just process, right? As opposed to saying, okay, you guys got to figure this out. Like, I'll give you all the tools. I'll give you all the wisdom. I'll give you all the support I can, but like, you guys tell me what's happening. And again, it's sad to say, Mary Pat, that even in 2024 now, that is still unique. Well, I'm happy that our model is unique in what we've seen over the course of the past four and a half years is that it works, right? Like allowing the experts, the individuals on the ground to determine how programs should be run within their direct communities. And you'd be impressed by the outcome with how many people decide to show up. And, you know, sadly, I think that's where we mess up in the more progressive space when it comes to mobilizing voters. One, we don't see the power in certain communities until it's a little bit too late. In 2016, that was like the community of color vote. Yeah. I mean, Detroit in particular, Hillary Clinton wins Michigan if they had one person in Detroit turning out voters, right? Yeah. And like youth vote now in 2024 is like the big thing within the progressive space. But literally last year in 2023, conservatives saw the power of the youth vote in 2020 and 2022, and they were making laws and and trying to figure out ways in which they could minimize the youth and the collegiate vote by making it harder for students to utilize their campus IDs, by eradicating campus polling locations. Saying you had to vote at home as opposed to campus, right? And your home could be 50 miles away, 200 miles away. Yeah. And so, I mean, people on the other side saw the power of the youth vote. And I'm happy that we are starting to see the power of the youth vote now. But, you know, we should have seen the power of the youth vote in 2023 and begin doing that organizing and activating of Gen Z voters prior to 2024. But now that we're here, we are getting our work early. I mean, we have student organizers on the ground. They actually start their fellowship this month. Oh, great. Prepping for 2024. And they're going strong leading up into November. Look, as someone who grew up a Republican and was a Republican, it's hard to believe it's been almost 10 years since I left the party. You know, the conservatives, the conservative movement, right? And let you can call it MAGA or whatever. They play the long game, Mary Pat. They will put money. They will put resources. They will put people. They will utilize the courts and the legislatures to do all the things they can to advantage themselves. And, and you brought up something, and this is just, a, I'm just curious, based on your now even vast experience. Why is it that I don't want to just pick on progressives, but Democrats or or left leaning organizations have a tougher time taking the long view? Why is it that, you know, because, look, I'm frustrated by this myself just as an observer of it is why aren't there more groups like Rise who like don't have to worry about funding year in and year out don't have to say okay finally it's an election year now we expect that we'll get what we need to make this stuff happen because 
as you know, as someone who's out there all day, every day, this stuff is additive, which is you're going to have a crop of kids this year, then they're going to become, to your point, they could go work for a president, they could go work for a senator, or they could stay in their communities and become a leader there. And then that spider web effect and five years down the road, you look, well, look what we built as opposed to saying, oh, my God, election days in nine months. Right. We better get it done now. And then as soon as it's the Wednesday after election day, like, thanks for your service. We'll see you later. Sadly, I think a lot of progressive organizations would love to do that. I think the problem is the funders and philanthropists who are willing to support that work. Oftentimes, they're not willing to support the work in the long game. A lot of times it's the moments. It's like right now, this is the moment. We want to fund things in this moment. We want to fund things. But it's like, how can we be as organized as conservatives were even around issues like Roe v. Wade? It was like, this year would have been the 51st anniversary, but they played the long game, you know? And it's like, how are we setting ourselves up in order to do that? And I think a lot of organizations would love to be able to, you know, staff up and keep their teams year round 365, but they have to make those adjustments because the money just isn't moving. And philanthropists and, you know, our donors move in the space of like supporting things in the moment rather than like, continuing to invest millions of dollars continuously into something that can truly make a difference in the long run. Right. Are you listening out there, donor community? Are you listening? I hope you're listening. Okay. Because you bring up Roe v. Wade and I want to switch to issues in a second, but when Dobbs happened, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. They've been working on this for 50 years, but they didn't see it as just like, okay, yeah, you know, we had a better campaign or we got this candidate elected, right? They're like, how do we make sure that when this happens, every legislature that we could capture over the course of 25 or 30 years is prepared to go into action to make sure that there were trigger laws, right? How many legislatures in conservative states, Southern states, passed trigger laws so that when Dobbs did happen, boom, Right. The ban took place immediately. It went from a Friday to a Monday. It was legal or there was some form of it on Monday. There wasn't. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that, again, I think the good news we have for us, Mary Pat, is that there are more people that believe in individual freedom, liberty, democracy and choice, as the case might be, than not. But we shouldn't underestimate that they are out there and they're relentless. My listeners have heard this a million times. All right. So let's talk about issues, because the one thing I have heard not only from you a little bit, but also from other youth organizers, youth advocate, youth leaders is that you all are focused on issues. OK, and so we have President Joe Biden. He's old enough. Hell, he's almost old. Enough, he's old enough to be my dad if he were an older dad, um, but he's certainly old enough to be y'all's grandfather. So in the context of 2024, how do you encourage the students that you're talking to, the young voters that you're talking to, that you must vote A, because if you care about these issues, like here's what's going to happen. How do you use the issue to drive the vote for the candidate as opposed to the candidate driving a vote for an issue? So with the demographic in which we organize around, we don't necessarily have to, you know, say vote for this candidate or vote for that candidate. Really, it's what will drive young people to the polls are the actual issues that they care about. Because if you put either of the top candidates beside each other, they're not too far different from age. Young people particularly don't see themselves represented in either party. They've kind of lost hope in the two major party systems. And so what will push them 
is issues like debt forgiveness, which, you know, was no surprise that the recent administration, what the current administration announced that debt relief will actually be a major part of their campaign going into 2024, as it was in 2020, which got a lot of people to support them. But issues such as climate, such as reproductive justice, gun violence and gun violence prevention, you know, centering those issues in like everyday people's lives. And like, you know, you say you care about gun violence prevention. Well, did you know if you showed up to vote, not only, you know, at the top of the ballot, when you think about like the president of the United States, but even your state representative or your state senator on election day in 2024, like that will make the difference. And so what we've even seen is like encouraging young people to vote for the issues, but then also understanding the importance of like voting from the bottom up rather than the top down. And that's been the approach that's really like garnered the attention or like pushed young people to really want to show up come 2024. Well, and I think also, as as you know, having run for a a hyper local office, a local office, is that that's where people's lives occur, right? Now, you can have massive life-changing decisions made in Washington, D.C., but the truth is day in and day out, you walk out your front door, you're in Atlanta, you're in Chattanooga, wherever it is you happen to be, right? And so those local office holders can have a real impact on your individual life, whether or not your issue could be law enforcement reform or, you know, I know you worked on criminal justice reform. And so I think that if you're going to vote for anybody, vote for your mayor, right, your city attorney, your county council. Like those are the people that are making decisions about what goes on, you know, on your street and the street over and and in in the city center. And that's also just kind of like what we've had to kind of like express to young people, even when like you're talking to young voters on the grounds and they'll bring up like their stimulus and they'll be like, well, you know, say, for example, Trump made sure that we got a stimulus. Well, was it really Trump that made sure you got a stimulus or was it, you know, your Congress and your Senate? (laughs) And those were those the individuals who really made sure that you were taken care of during the pandemic? Or, you know, are you upset that you didn't see certain things take place within this current administration? Or was it because we didn't necessarily have a lot of support in the House or a lot of support in the Senate? And what would that look like had we shown up in certain places in 2020 or 2022 to ensure that, you know, certain policies were implemented? Or the fact that if we did decide to wait out in 2024, that this particular election could have generational consequences. An example would be 2016, where we now have a very conservative leaning Supreme Court where certain rights and liberties that you thought you'd have, you may not have anymore. And so, you know, just sharing and showing how elections at every level kind of directly impact you, but more so those on the state and local level. All right. So two questions. One, if you had anything that sort of concerns you, you know, what are you seeing out there that sort of gives you, you know, a little bit of pause? Gosh, I hate to say this, but I think right now seeing the possible support amongst young people of color to Trump as a elected official. And this is not as this is Mary Pat Hector, the person, not necessarily Mary Pat Hector, the person from, you know, an organization. But just I think there's this picture being painted of him as a martyr or like an individual who's being overly criminalized. A lot of young people of color see themselves in him for that reason. They see him as an individual that showed up and swooped in when they were low during the pandemic by providing things like stimuluses and the fact that they feel like currently the courts are overcriminalizing his acts and they don't understand why, you know, he's being, you know, why he has to have a mugshot or why he's going to jail or why he's in court. 
you know, this is just an attack on his liberties. And I think this campaign is not only working for him amongst young people of color, but also really energizing his base. That is a concern for me. And beyond that, the thought that young people may be so turned off by both candidates that they don't show up, which is why I'm doing everything in my power to get as many as much resources as possible to begin having young people talk and touch their bases now so that they can begin having these conversations around the issues, engaging in trainings and like knocking on doors and building their bases now and contacting those voters three to five times leading up into an election so that they actually show up. Because if they don't, again, like beyond possibly losing some seats on the Supreme Court, beyond another four years of laws such as like voter suppression laws and, you know, I believe that our literal democracy is hanging in the balance. And not only this, but since 2016, not only have we seen an issue with our democracy within this country, but democracies across the globe. And I believe that we will be in for a real ride in 2024 if young people don't show up and vote around the issues. All right. So that's the minor key. Tell me what encourages you, what inspires you when you're out there? What inspires me when I'm out there is the power that young people realize that they have. I remember showing up and like doing some organizing and mobilization in Wisconsin where, you know, prior to the 2022 Supreme Court election in Wisconsin, less than like 50 people utilized a campus polling precinct. And then that same precinct for that election had over 700 votes cast, you know, like small things and small moments and small wins like a Supreme Court race in a place like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or a Senate race in Georgia, like those small wins matter. And like the light bulb that goes off on young people's heads when they say like, oh, wow, like my vote really did do that. Like me canvassing for, you know, eight long months (laughs) and like knocking on doors really contributed to change within my state and how dedicated they are even following those more smaller elections from moments such as this, what we're witnessing right now in 2024. All right. Well, this is all incredible. Where can our listeners find out more about you if you're online, if you dare to be on social media? And where can we find more information about Rise so our folks can get out there and help out? Sure. Uh, The listeners can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mary Pat Hector. You can also find Rise on all platforms. Oh, I guess it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. You're going to offend Elon? Like, don't worry about it. (laughs) You can also find um, our organization on all platforms at Rise Free Org. And you can visit our website at risefree.org. Risefree.org. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen, on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP, and on Substack at The Homefront. Mary Pat Hector, thanks for joining me. I hope you'll come back this year and let us know how it's going. Thank you. I'd love to. And everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. 
And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.